Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 3. In this week's episode, we had a very special guest, the captain from the True Crime Garage. Captain and I have been buddies for a long time, and, and I reached out to him and asked him, of all the cases you've covered, which one are you the most passionate about? And without a moment's notice, he said the Brian Schaefer case, which you heard in the podcast. Captain and Nick are both from the Columbus area. They're very familiar with the case some of the players in the case, the places in the case. Uh, and we had a really good discussion. Uh, Brian Schaefer was an Ohio State uh, med student who, right after taking his final exams and our midterm exams and taking off for spring break, went out for with some friends for a night out in the town and mysteriously disappeared from a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And in the studio today, of course, I have Mike and Zach, who is very familiar with this area uh, and is more excited to talk about this case than I've seen him about anything we've done in the last two years. Yeah, I, I've traveled to Columbus a lot, actually. I've spent a lot of time in Columbus. Actually, the very first time I ever went to Columbus was May of 2006, so a month after this. Right. And I've spent, I've been there once a year since in this area. Like, I, I'm very familiar exactly where this happened. Nice. So what we're going to do is we're going to tell you a little bit of probably about hair care products, and and possibly car insurance. And then right for that, we'll get into Zach's thoughts and your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, so Zach, you have come into the recording booth with a whole list of notes. So before we get into these lists, and also, I'll point out to you guys, we mentioned this last week, but this, this follow-up is a little different because uh, Mike and I have our trip out west, which we are on right now while you're listening to this. And uh, right after we get back is Mike's wedding. 
Um, so we've had to do some a lot of this work up front. So we're actually recording this follow up before the episode airs. So we reached out to some listeners that knew a little bit about the case for some questions. And then uh, luckily, Zach did a lot of homework. So we're, we're going to see what we can get done here. So I think one thing we could do is set the scene a little bit for this for this area. OK, what I don't think was put together in the episode is, you know, they talk about this bar and there was an escalator going up. Mm hmm. So this area is right off of High Street, which is like the main drag that goes straight through town. Right. It goes through everything. Short North, which is where the Arts District is. I mean, it's, it's one big area, but campus is right there. Real quick, before we go further setting the scene, can you explain why you know all this? So I tattoo for a living, for the listeners that don't know. And I've tattooed in Columbus a lot. There's a huge tattoo community there. I have several friends that own tattoo studios there. There's a huge tattoo convention there every year called Hell City Tattoo Convention. Mm -hmm. It's probably the biggest in the world. So I've traveled there a lot, spent a lot of time there, have a lot of friends there. Right. So once a year, you're spending time in this exact area where this happened. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, this is directly off campus. So Mm -hmm. usually directly off campus, bars, tons of bars. So this whole area where the, the ugly tuna is, which is no longer, well, the Ugly Tuna is no longer there. There's the Ugly Tuna 2, which is around the corner from uh-huh. where this one was. Is there anything in the place where this was? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't actually looked. Uh-huh. I haven't been, I, since we've talked about this case, I haven't been there to actually look to see what right. is there now. But that whole strip is two and three story buildings that are just bars. Completely. I mean, the whole storefronts on either side are bars. Right. So one of the things that they talked about is him being on surveillance and being able to track him. Uh-huh. And I honestly, like... I can see them coming in or coming out, but once he's in or out, like you're not going to be able to, there's so many people right there. there. It would be way too hard to try to track one person. Is that because that, well, that's what I was thinking was there's all these bars. And when I looked at the photos from the scene, it does look weird. Like you walk into a building and then go up an escalator into the bar. But I was just thinking of with all that going on, it seems like, you know, ATM cameras, that there'd be something they'd be able to track the area that was never done. But I, I just feel like because of, because of that area, there would be so many people that it would be really hard to try to track one person through right, it, right. especially in 2006. Uh-huh. Like, I, I know there's still, I mean, it's not super far out of date, but I just feel like 2006, the security is not the way it is now yeah, the quality and, of the and what we think it that. is now. And I just feel like if he did go out the back door and there was no security, he could get lost really easily. Right. Yeah. And it disappeared. And you said that all these places, these two, three story places, it, is it like, a storefront, then a bar upstairs, or is it like bar, bar, bar on every level? Some of the areas, it's bar, bar, bar every level. Okay. You know, some of the areas, it is storefront, but I mean, for the most part, it's just, it's party central right there. Right. And this was a Friday night after the last night of classes before spring break, mm-hmm. so I'm sure everything was packed. And all the bars have silly names like the Ugly Tuna and the Sloppy Donkey, and I mean, they're all, mm-hmm. it's all like that. What's your favorite bar in Columbus? The Surly Girl. Surly Girl. It's more down in the Arts District, so it's where I would go. It's good burgers, too. Nice. I'll check it out next so, time. So totally way off topic. But. Visiting the captain. <laughs> so in the episode, we talk about him coming into the, like coming in through the front entrance. Right. And clearly being on camera and then stepping out and talking to the two females. Right. And then going back in. So we know that he's there at that point. Right. But they do talk about in the episode about possibly the band loading out through the back, which mm-hmm. is very common. I mean, it, it, it would surprise me that they didn't have a back entrance for the band. The band's right. not going to carry stuff, especially up an escalator. You know what I mean? If there's a service elevator or something back there, they're not going through that front door. You know what I didn't think of until just now when you said that is Captain said he knows, he actually knows people that were in the band that night that he talked to. So they talked, they did load up. For sure, they loaded out the back. I didn't think, and I was picturing like a back door out into an alley. Mm -hmm. I forgot about the fact that it was on the second floor. Yeah. So I wonder if it's just stairs going down there or what that, what the back of that looks like. 
I, I would, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I would bet there'd be a service elevator. Like yeah, that's that a lot of equipment to carry up and down. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it seems weird. And what we did find out is they talked about the construction in the back. Now, sometimes the theory sounds like this construction is a lot of construction. Wasn't the construction on the side? I, I, I picture it in my mind's eye as being on the side of the building. So it sounded like when it, the way captain explained it is it sounded like when you left the back, when you got outside, that's uh-huh. where the construction was. That you okay. had to walk through that. But he also explained it as just kind of not finished, not necessarily construction. Right. So the way I, from what I read about the case, and I'm, I'm not sure which is accurate, because uh, there's there some question about cameras, right? Were mm-hmm. there any other exits? Because you know, the story was always, he's seen on camera walking in and he never walks out. Mm-hmm. But there's a back entrance for the the band to go out of. And then I was I also read that so you walked out it's at the bars on the second level mm-hmm. you walk out and there's cameras right there and then there's an escalator that goes down and then you continue walking forward to go out the front door of the building onto the street but I read that at the bottom of that escalator there was a side like emergency exit then that's what went out into the construction area mm. from what I understood but that but the emergency exit made sense even the back door made sense when I first started reading, I was like this is not true because I used to be a fire inspector mm-hmm. you can't have a business with that kind of occupancy and have one way in and out yeah. you've got to have multiple ways in and out so that that's another potential potential for the construction area is on the side that's the way I understood it was mm-hmm. that it went out to the side because he said because the band like parked in the back yeah where they were you know in the alley and the other thing that's not really been brought up is, and in my opinion, this is the theory that I go with for the whole thing, is there's a river that's not far from there, right? less than a mile from there. And I believe it was in the direction of his apartment. Yeah, that's one of the theories I've read that people think that he just, in his stumble home, fell into the river. Mm-hmm. Or people think he was murdered and thrown in the river. Yeah, I don't know which way I would go, but I, I think that's where he ended was in the river. See, I don't think so. Only because I've from doing you know fire department stuff. I keep going back to that, but like like the river rescue, mm-hmm. and I was on the the I was I'm rescued. What well, was a rescue diver? The bodies always almost always show up. The only time I've ever had a body and it did show up, mm-hmm. not get found in a river was and we found it forty years later was somebody that drove a car into the, the river. It was it was an interesting story. I'll I'll just make it brief, but it was. It was a weird story about somebody like robbed a bank or something back in the, I don't know, the fifties or sixties mm-hmm. and disappeared and was never seen again. And then, you know, 40 years later, somebody, it was, we had a, we had a drought summer and somebody was out fishing in the St. Joe river in Niles. And when they were fishing, the water level was real low and real clear because it hadn't run, rained. Mm-hmm. And they looked down and said, there's a car down there. And then we had to put on our dive gear and stuff and go down and. Yeah, you know, we didn't. We just knew there was a car on the river. Get down there, open it up, and his the car with car with his body was at the bottom of the river, and it stayed there for forty years because the car held it down. Any other case where a person has fallen in, mm-hmm. they always you know because as your body you know there's a process when you when you drown, you sink mm-hmm. you know, and so you get and it's possible to get snagged up on something, but for the most you're gonna sink down. But then as your body, your internal organs decompose, they off gas. And then literally fill your body up like a balloon, and then you float. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, they show up. So the fact that 14 years later, not a trace of him, no clothes, no shoes, no nothing ever turned up just seems unlikely to me. See, the, the thing that I think about that, though, is the way that river runs. It dumps into a larger river, uh-huh. which, again, dumps into a larger river. And it continues to go until it meets the Mississippi. 
Right. His body could be anywhere. Just because it hasn't been, I don't want to say discovered, it could very well be discovered. And they could have pulled it and said, you know, we look for this person. We have no idea who this is. They find it in Missouri. You know what I mean? Right. We have a missing person. We don't know who it is. Okay, that was the end of that. Yeah. It, I mean, that's possible. But man, but man in, from 2006 on, mm-hmm. that just seems so, you know, the, the I feel like everything's too networked and connected that they have this missing persons case that if someone, if a body shows up anywhere that they can't very quickly get the word out about that and figure out who it was. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, so here's my thought on that is even though a lot of people, a lot of the true crime people seem to want to talk about this and it seems like the family wanted it out there. I talked to several of my friends of mine this week from Columbus. Mm-hmm. Once it happened, it disappeared and they never heard about it again. Really? And then there's people that live there during that time frame that basically once it happened, they never heard about it again. Right. So how, how well was it really being put out there? Like, we feel like it was put out there a lot. Right. But how well was it really being put yeah, out there? Yeah, because it was picked up by all the true crime you know, podcasts and stuff that came out later. Mm-hmm. So it might have. But, but for the police, I mean, they got it. When you have a missing persons case. I mean, I remember vaguely the story. Like, it came mm-hmm. back to me that it did make national news. Yeah. And I think it made national news mostly because of the intrigue of the fact that he walked into a bar and never walked out. Yeah. You know, and it was. And so I remember it happening. Uh, but for the police, you know, they have an unsolved case in another district. So say us here, you know, when I was working on the fire department, we got a call that, you know, we'd call them floaters. You know, there's a floater in the river and we'd go out and we re- would retrieve the body. And then we're we're trying to, I mean, on our end, we're not resting until we figure out who the hell it is. And also you'd expect that he had probably a wallet in his pocket. I did, you know, some of this stuff could come out, but mm-hmm. there's identifying things on him. But we would not just be like, well, we're just. I guess throw the body in the ground. They're going to work hard to figure out whose body it is. It can't always be done, but you definitely always, and we wouldn't do it as a law enforcement side, but they would, you know, check with, you know, there's databases. And that's why I'm saying because of the year. And I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, from 2006 at that point, I think there's still databases where you can look up missing persons and see if anyone's missing that, that fits the description. And of course, it is possible that, you know, the, the body went down when it was before it was buoyant and got sn- tangled, snagged up into something and just never popped up. Mm-hmm. But it just still seems like, man, after all these years, at some point, something would have. See, that. I mean, that's just where I, that's, in, in my opinion, that's the most straightforward explanation is that he ended up in that river. Right. Based on proximity to where it is. Right. Uh, the other thing that I did not know until this week when I talked to some of my friends is Columbus, Ohio is a hot spot for human trafficking. Yeah, I read that too. I didn't know that until this, but yeah, I was just I, reading about that. I did not know that until I talked to them. And that's an interesting theory that he could have possibly been picked up. Right. Or, you know, let's say picked up for that or he witnessed it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's a reason he disappeared. Right. So that's a strange thing that I didn't know about till this week that could be a theory leading somewhere. And I wonder with, I don't know much about the human trafficking. You think about it, you always think about kids or women. Mm-hmm. I wonder what. Is, is there a human trafficking market? And I don't know if there's a human trafficking market for, you know, military age males. Organ harvesting. Oh. That's, that's also part of it. And that's, that could be a thing. So it could be anyone. Mm-hmm. And that would be, it makes sense that it'd be a hotspot given that because you've got a bunch of drunk, young, healthy people. Mm-hmm. If it's for organ harvesting every night spilling on it. And it's like, I've never been to, I've been to Columbus, but I've never been down to the bars. But I think I'm imagining like New Orleans, like when I've gone to New Orleans, mm-hmm. I felt extremely unsafe, not me personally, but but even with my wife being down there and some other friends, because 
It's just there's so many masses of people. Everyone's drunk. And, of course, mm-hmm. New Orleans, they have my problem I have with it is Bourbon Street is lit up like a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. and all the little side streets off the sides of it don't have any lights on them. So it's like a perfect place to pick people off. And, and this area is is a very similar feel to that. Okay. I mean, it's, it's very lit up, very bright, but once you get off that main strip, right. you're, you're in neighborhoods, and it, it's very easy to get away. You know, I mean, it would be very similar to that. Yeah. Even the captain said that he that was an area that he was didn't feel necessarily safe walking through. Yeah, and that's you know, that's I, I lean much more towards foul play than than anything else. You know, because that that stuff happens in places. You know, in in New Orleans, really, a little tidbit, a little free piece for you. You know, there's all kinds of lore around New Orleans and vampires. Mm-hmm. You know, they even like the True Blood is all based out of Louisiana and so the, that series and. What it really, if you study the history of it, the reason that there's all these these stories of vampires in New Orleans is because people would disappear there all the time, and it mm-hmm. was a combination of there's a perfect setup there for for someone to be taken and abducted, and then in New Orleans they're right on the Mississippi River that goes right under the Gulf of Mexico, and 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 there you've got. Gators and you know once you get to the Gulf, you know a lot of a lot of carnivorous fish and things. I mean, there's it's pretty easy to disappear somebody out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I wanted the same thing: why human trafficking is so prevalent in, in Columbus because it's a similar scenario. So I have a few more things, but I know some of the questions kind of cover these okay. or ask about them, so we can move into the questions. Okay, what do you got, Mike? Our first question comes from Richard. Richard says, "Do you agree with the theory that Brian decided to disappear and start a new life?" If so, how do you think he did it? I don't. Your thoughts? I don't either. One of the big things that, that leads me to believe that is his bank accounts and all that stuff has never been touched. Right. It, and that we didn't cover that in the podcast, but yeah, that's accurate. But, yeah. but his, it's never been touched. So you think like if he's going to disappear, he's going to need money. Yeah. Even if it was withdrawn beforehand or something. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's just never been touched. He just, that night he left and that was it. Yeah. There's, and there's a million reasons why I don't think that's the case. We talked about some of them with Captain on the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the bank accounts were never touched. He didn't. There's no indication prior to that, like pulling out some money and stashing stuff aside. And then again, the fact that who executes a plan like that mm-hmm. perfectly, because it's 14 years later and he's never been found. Who executes a plan like that at two in the morning when they're stumbling home drunk from a bar, or even if you wake up hungover the next morning if they think he did make it back to his apartment, which is you know I don't think I don't think it happened. It's, it's just yeah, none of it. None of it makes sense. And to leave your life behind like that. I mean, just crazy. I understand that, you know, they said he was kind of losing it with the, his passing of his mother. Right. And I could see him maybe going on a binger or something, you know what I mean? Kind of leaving by himself, but he would come back. You still have, at this point, his dad hasn't passed away. Yeah. You know what I mean? He still had a girlfriend slash fiance. Right. You, you know, that's, I feel like you would come back to and that. And he's up picking up, gr- I mean, not to speak poorly of the guy but i mean he was hitting on like they interviewed the girls that he was talking to he he was getting phone numbers mm-hmm. like why why is he why is he exchanging phone numbers with a girl he met at a bar at two in the morning if he's planning on disappearing off the face of the earth the next day yeah you know and, and that just absolutely doesn't add up and then there's also no triggering factor you know the theory is like oh he didn't really want to be a medical student that it, like so, so don't mm-hmm. wait you're afraid your dad's gonna be mad at you you don't think he's gonna be mad at you if you disappear forever yeah you know it's it's not like you, you're running away from something like uh, i i i got a girl pregnant and i just don't want to be you know i don't want to be a part of this or i committed a crime that i've got to hide from and i'm you know i've, I've got to do this to like he was literally in a position where he could just walk away from 
you know, and somebody might be a little pissed at him, but who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, it just for a million reasons, I don't think that that this was him leaving to start a new life. Katie says, do you get the feeling that this is a one-off event involving foul play? The work of a serial killer like the smiley face killer or no foul play? I definitely think there's, there's foul play. And admittedly, I'm not the most well-researched in the case, but for some of the factors that we just talked about, I don't think that it was just him leaving. There's, I think there's a potential that there was some horrible accident that was covered up, but I don't buy that either. I think that that, that comes out. I think... Knowing as, as I'm thinking out loud, as I just you know, when, when you just shared with me Zach the information about it being a hotspot for human trafficking, I think that it makes more sense that this was an organized killer, and mm. and, and and some somehow or an, or another, you know, that if this was just you know somebody got in a bar fight and he killed him, like again, presumably both those people have been drinking. It's the middle of the night, crowded street, like you, you just, it just for the same reasons. I don't think that. He just walked away and disappeared on purpose for the for the same reasons. I don't think that someone just out of nowhere killed him and then managed to pull off, you know, one of the best coverings up of a crime that we've ever seen. I mean, it's 14 years later, no evidence, no one's talked, no one has any idea that that leads me more towards foul play, but organized foul play, and and none of, and that even didn't make sense to me until you mentioned the human traffickers because there's nothing about him that where somebody would be like I'm going to assassinate him this night you know where, where he was targeted mm-hmm. but with the human traffickers they're opportunistic but it but they're they're skilled they're planned they know what they're doing you know so you know and, and they know how to get in get out cover things up that makes more sense to me like oh here's a drunk guy maybe he followed the band out he wanders out into an area where they can snatch him up and get him out of there. And they know how to, mm-hmm. how to make it. So he's never found. So in, in this, this theory is developing as we're sitting here, but based on that, I think that if you, if you consider everything, the most likely scenario is foul play by some sort of an organized killer. So the listener brought up the smiley face killer. And I know that's a theory that's kind of bounced around for this case. I don't know anything about the smiley face killer. We were talking about this earlier. Can you explain a little bit about who he, who that is, or if that is a thing? So, Honestly, no one really knows that it's a thing. There's a lot of belief out there that it's just a thing, but there's no law enforcement that's ever came out and said there's a smiley face killer. Uh-huh. What it is, is he does fit the profile of what's been happening with the quote unquote smiley face killer. Uh-huh. It's a 20 somethings male that ends up disappearing, typically in a river. Uh-huh. And that's the way they think they killed him. And the smiley face part comes is that they they find a smiley face spray painted in the location that the body entered the water supposedly that's that's the idea because this has happened they've they've found bodies in rivers of intoxicated males Uh uh-huh and there's a smiley face nearby is it just strictly serial killer stuff where like you know they they weren't robbed or organs harvested or or sexually assaulted no it's just strictly that this has happened in the midwest to multiple intoxicated 20-something males. Murdered, thrown in a river. Murdered, thrown in a river. Okay. One of the bodies that was found, which is what leads to a serial killer, is that the body was found in the river, but he he didn't drown. They found no proof that he had drowned. There was no water in his lungs. There was nothing like that. So they believe he was dead when he entered the water. And that's Uh kind of where this snowballed. And then Brian Schaefer just kind of fits that that mark of that. Yeah, that profile of that killer. Or if it is a killer. But there's been no law enforcement that's actually came out and said they believe this is something. So that's because there was a, wasn't there recently a documentary about the smiley face killer? Uh, there possibly was. I don't know. That might be a good case to talk about sometime mm-hmm. if, if there's a, another creator out there that's that, that's covered it. But yeah, that, 
all those people though have been found right mm-hmm. as far as i know they've all been found and it, the smiley face killer is more of a theory rather they don't know if it's up right a person it's an internet um, theory for yeah, people saying connecting yep. dots exactly they don't know if it's a person or a group of individuals mm-hmm. it's just a theory at the moment right but that continues on to my point about you know all these bodies that you know when they're throw, they're all thrown in the river and they're all found mm-hmm. i don't think i'm sure there's statistics somewhere but well, of course, I guess if you never found the body, you wouldn't know they were thrown in the river to see how many. <laughs> that's stupid. But, you know, the, the, most of the time, if something so if somebody's thrown into a river, then their body's found. You know, the only time that's not the case is when somebody goes out to something like the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, and tries a cinder block to your ankle and drops you in 2,000 feet of water. Obviously, you're not going to be found and then when the mass expands. Mm-hmm. But with a river that's running through, and you got things that are going to catch bodies. you got dams and different spots where the body should come up at some point. Mm-hmm. April says, do you think something happened to him in the construction area? I don't. I mean, there's, I wish I could see photos of what the construction area looked like. You know, you, your, your mind jumps to the, the Jimmy Hoffa theories, right? That, you know, he's, he's in the end zone of Soldier Field, you know, that they were, they were the same time that he disappeared. They were pouring the concrete in those end zones. Well, there's there's one of those uh, a myth about the Mackinac Bridge too that a, a worker fell in and they didn't know when he got cemented into the Mackinac Bridge. Right. Yeah. You know that stuff happens. It it is hard to understand without seeing any photos because when you hear this, they make it sound like it's massively under construction, a huge construction site. Uh-huh. And then what we heard from the captain from his from his friends said it was more like an unfinished room that they had to walk through. Right. But in either case, there's number one. There's nowhere where someone just disappears in there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, you know, say you fell into the forms where they were going to pour concrete. Well, they would, when they got ready to pour the concrete, they'd see the dude laying there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you have the fact that come Monday, there's going to be construction workers working there in every, if you've ever been on a big construction site, there's somebody in every single corner working all the time, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, he would have been found, you know, and it's not like I've, I've, I've read somewhere, but like he got closed into a wall and well, first of all, no, mm-hmm. like who's going to put up the piece of drywall and not notice the man right there yeah. in the wall? There's just th- those things are those things are are fantasy. That's not how a construction site really looks. Well, and even with that, if they didn't notice him for some god unknown reason, when he starts to decompose, the, the smell, smell, right? Yeah, there's there's no. I, I don't think the construction thing. I mean, I I mean, I've made clear obviously in, in my theory on this. I I just I don't think that this was an accident. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it was an accident that they would, they would successfully be able to cover it up as well as they did. And I definitely don't think he ran away, which leaves you with foul play. And, uh, I'm, I'm really, my brain's really spinning right now about this whole organ harvester thing and the human trafficking. Tanya says from memory, Brian wasn't hugely intoxicated. Is there a way that he somehow had his drink spiked and then walked out of the back exit? Well, I mean, yeah, that's possible, but also to be clear, the evidence that from what I've heard was the exact opposite, that he was extremely intoxicated, that, you know, they were drinking, doing shots, went to another bar, drank some more, that he looked visibly intoxicated when he was outside at one fifty five a.m. talking to the girls like on the landing before the escalator. But, yeah, but that's another, you know, that could be, again, going back to this whole human trafficking theory, you know, a tactic, you know, take the guy that's already buzzed up a little bit and drop a roofie into his drink. So that he passes out the rest of the way and just slide him out the back door. Yeah, I think from everything we heard, he was pretty intoxicated. I think the only person that denies him being intoxicated was his father. His dad, yeah. And I think that that was just, he's, he's grief and it's trying to paint his son in a better light. 
And that's extremely common. We see it a lot with suicides. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many cases out there and some of them are legit, but there's a ton of cases out there. We haven't pitched us sometimes. I've even looked into a couple of them. Someone, someone takes their own life and then their family members are like, this was murder. My son would never take his own life. It would never happen. You know, we saw the, um, the culpable Mm -hmm. podcast covered that. And that's one that I think there's, there's, there's a possibility that that's actually true, but that, that, that thought process is common. You know, you just don't want to believe your loved one would do, you know, in this case, he doesn't want to believe his, his son would be, you know, I won't say cheating on his girlfriend or fiance or whatever, his girlfriend, but he was out talking, flirting with other girls, couldn't be doing that and doesn't want to believe his kid was out sloppy drunk on Friday night. So, you know, they, 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 they want, they want to believe. I think they they want to believe, and they want others to believe better of the their family member that they're talking about. Jessica says, "What's with Clint?" Clint, that is uh, it's interesting. So Clint was the friend of Brian's that he was going out with that night, uh, and then Meredith was the other girl, right? That they were with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met up with later. Suspicion is pointed at Clint because primarily, I know, because he he refused to take a polygraph test. About this, and weren't there some other things with him too that that got people thinking he was suspicious? Well, he, there's the rumor that him and Brian got into an argument that night at that bar. Uh huh. Plus, Clint just leaving him, Clint and Meredith going back to the other house and coming back the morning. You know, what I mean, there's a lot of where he he pretends to check on him or says he checks on him but doesn't. You know, what I mean, there's it's really weird. And then the father is one of the ones that really pushed, said that Clint had something to do right. with it too. Hired a private investigator to investigate Clint. Right. You know, and the, the whole thing, like some of the behaviors we're talking about, like that, like he, he, how did he leave him at the bar? Mm-hmm. When I was reading that, I was like, none of that sounds weird to me at all. I, I have a friend, a good friend, my friend Ryan, and he's known for what we call the Irish goodbye. Okay. Uh, he, he does it to us all. I think you've been a victim of Ryan's Irish goodbye before, Mike. Uh, the part where yeah. you'll be sitting around having drinks, having a good time, and all of a sudden you'll look up and Ryan's gone. But is that, is that a person you're at the bar with? Or is yeah. that a person that came with you? No, like like we went to the bar together. You know, we drove separately, mm-hmm. I guess. See, and that's so different the- to me than than arriving together. See, it feels like they, in the story to me, it seems like they all went together. Yeah, but and they walked, right? Then they, I do believe they walked. Because, yeah. I mean, the proximity of everything is really close. So yeah. they could have walked from bar to bar. But I just feel like it's strange to me for that person just to leave without saying anything if you came together. Now, if you all rode separately, you know, and now that I say this out loud, it very real could happen but i see like your friend ryan if he drove there separately and just was like oh, i'm bouncing i'm out of here you always get a text from him a half hour later or right about the time you're trying to figure out where he's at he'll send you a text that says irish goodbye motherfucker <laughs> he's like he's gone <laughs> um but you know what the funny thing is this exact scenario we're talking about here i did to ryan i'm, I'm literally in my mind this exact same scenario it was a house party mm-hmm. we were 20 or something like that and we were at we we rode together and we were at this party and we were hanging out and then it like got to be late and I was going to catch a ride back home with someone mm-hmm. and Ryan was my neighbor uh, at the time and uh, couldn't find him anywhere. And this is before cell phones, you know, or maybe we did have cell phone. I think I tried to call whatever it was. No, it was before cell phones, but it's like I couldn't find him anywhere. Then it was like, oh, well, screw him. I guess he'll find his way home. I'm going home. I'm not, you know. Because you're not thinking in the time that that's, you know, I can totally see if you guys are all together and it's closing time. Mm -hmm. It's 2 a.m. The bar is closed. They have kicked you out of the bar. The crowds are dispersing. You can't find him. You're drunk. You're tired. It's 2 in the morning. To just assume he must have already went home. He must have, maybe he went home with one of those girls. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, I'm not going to stand here like an idiot in the street 
I'm going to, I'm just going to keep on, you know, I'm just going to go home. You'll yeah. be fine. But then there was the weird thing we didn't talk about on the podcast. Did you read anything about the cell phone? Oh, about it pinging in Hillard or Hill- Hilliard? There was the ping in Hillard, which we mentioned, but there mm-hmm. was also the thing where Brian's girlfriend continued to call him every day mm-hmm. trying to find him. And it would just straight to voicemail, straight to voicemail, because like, like your phone's dead. Mm-hmm. And then it was something like, I want to say two weeks later, she called one day and it rang. You know, it, it rang multiple times and went to voicemail or whatever, mm-hmm. which would be indicating the phone was turned back on at some point. And then there was the ping on the phone from, yeah, Hillard or whatever that other town was. Mm-hmm. I See, yeah. The phone companies come out and said that they just think that was a glitch. And I could see that happening because uh-huh. that happens. I mean, right now, obviously, it's a cell phone. It's a little different. But if you were to call a landline and the power's out, it'll just ring. Right. You know what I mean? So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that it just I think it's just a glitch. I, so I have phone, read that. The phone company said that the, the fact that it rang was a glitch? Yeah, that it just didn't, wasn't connecting and it was ringing like it was ringing out, but oh, okay. it wasn't connecting to them and it was just a glitch. That makes sense. I still don't think it's really in, indicative of one thing or the other. Even mm-hmm. let's say that it was accurate, that mm-hmm. somebody turned his phone back on two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Well, that could mean Brian turned it back on. It could mean the person that killed him turned it back on. It mm-hmm. could mean that it was, you know, it was dumped in a dumpster somewhere and a dumpster diver found it and turned it on. Mm-hmm. You know, it could it, it it could have been any of those things or it could have just been, like I said, a glitch. Yeah. And, and that the, like I said, the phone company came out and said that they believed it was a glitch. Heidi says, could you please address the actual facts about the video at the Ugly Tuna Saluna and whether or not all exits, both public and for employees, were the only ones on camera? This is something that was sensationalized a little bit, the whole... There's one camera, one door. He went in and never came out because, you know, as we heard, there was definitely a back entrance. But then from what Captain said, that the police have come out publicly and said that they have had the the video of the back door the whole time mm-hmm. and never saw him come out. I kind of got the impression Captain didn't believe that story or thought something was fishy with it. I have a hard time believing that story when the video of the front door has been released, but the video of the back door has never been released. It right. sounds like they don't have it. It, that doesn't mean it's super odd. Mm-hmm. Why would they? Why would the police lie about it? Yeah, I don't know why they would lie about it. I can understand why. Maybe not necessarily the 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 bar would lie about it, uh-huh. but the bar is doing it for security purposes. If they right. have cameras up that aren't actually working, they don't want people to. Know they don't that. want people to know they're not working. Right. So I could see that people saying, "Oh yeah, all the doors are covered." Uh huh. Well, where's the tape? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, something like that. But I don't understand why the police would say they have it if they didn't have it or if they didn't really see something and why wouldn't it be released see i could see it not being released if so so here's the scenario they've got the camera in the back Mm -hmm. and the they got video of the of the 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 band Mm -hmm. employees whatever going back there and they're smoking pot or shooting up or somebody's back there making out with somebody and they're like if they release the video just Mm -hmm. to just to you know let everybody believe that okay he didn't go out the back door just to set their mind at ease in the process of doing that they're going to expose all these people for all this other stuff i mean i don't know if you've ever worked in a restaurant or a bar but a lot of bullshit happens outside the back door in the alley oh i can imagine i mean literally every when i was younger everybody's a bartender and every bar i worked at restaurant i worked at there was drug deals there was sex there was all kinds of shit happening in the alley Mm -hmm. but why would the police care if they incriminate somebody or not if the police have it they've already incriminated they know that they did it Right. I also want to point out I wasn't doing any of those things. 
And, and what was up with the accent? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it could just be. It, it all depends on who's in charge of the police. You know what I mean? It, it's not put yourself in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you've got and say it's the business owner, or whatever. Who knows what else was on that tape? I guarantee you, if there's a tape of that back alley, there's some shit on it. Mm-hmm. And to be like, okay. We are the ones that need to know this. We are the police. We are investigating. I can look at the tape, and I know Brian Schaefer didn't walk out the back door. Mm -hmm. Now, these people are telling me they want to see the tape, but if I show the tape, I could be ruining the lives of these other people. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily incriminating, because if they wanted to file charges for something like that, they would. They could, but I don't see why they would. But to say, like, am I going to ruin these people's reputation and their lives and things like that and put that out there? When it's serving no purpose other than to get people to shut up. Okay. And I'm not saying that's what happened or that that's right. I'm just saying I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was the business owner and they're like, I'll give you the tape, but you can't post this because I'm out there doing something nasty with one of the cooks. So you can look at it, but you can't release it. You know, it could be something as simple as that. I don't know. I still have a hard time believing that. Yeah. I, I have less of a hard time believing that than I have a hard, than I do believing that the police don't have it and they're just lying. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make like who are they protecting? You know, if, if that's the case, then we're talking about serious organized crime and you know the somebody paid off the police not to invoke, which I think is a theory somebody mm-hmm. has out there. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that either. I think there's probably a more innocuous reason for that for explanation mm-hmm. for the whole thing with the camera in the back. Then, as far as the the, the cameras, is kind of quelling the rumors i don't know i haven't been there i've only read what's available to me online Mm -hmm. but from what i read there was another door at the bottom of the escalator that went out the side of the building and there was no camera or maybe was at the top of the escalator before you went down somewhere there was another the way i read it besides the back door that wasn't covered Mm mm-hmm but my understanding also was that that exit was outside of the bar after you walked out of the bar into the rest of the larger building, mm-hmm. which wouldn't make sense because there's a camera right on the front of the bar. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the entrance. So even if they came out and then exited somewhere else, like it had to be the front door or back door, I think. But I'm sure, I'm sure somebody has done thorough research out there enough to find out exactly where the doors were. But then that that leads you back to then, okay, let's say for sure there's a camera in the front, camera in the back. Let's say the police aren't lying. Mm-hmm. So we literally have video of them going in and never coming out. But with that, that means something happened inside that bar. Right. Or in the back room. Right. Which means multiple people are involved. And right. anytime you get multiple people involved. Somebody's talking. Somebody's talking at some point. Right. Even if it's not necessarily confessing, it's it's talking to somebody down the road. Or like you talked about leaking information. Right. If it happened in the bar, there's too many people there that witnessed it. Unless you're talking about professional human traffickers mm-hmm. that have a team that does this on a regular basis and has a process to get away with it. That's the only way. There's only thing that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. If if something happened in the bar, I don't think that because there's been theories that uh, you know something happened and they threw him out with the trash that he was put in the, that the band stuffed him into their their equipment mm-hmm. or something like that it, somehow he got out of there without being detected but i think he could have been they could have put him in a disguise or there could have been i don't know there there's way you know the equipment the band stuff like that there, or they must have there could have been a plan to get him out of there mm-hmm. 
But if something happened in the bar, I think that it, that is more indicator to me that it was it was an organized offender, somebody that knew what they were doing and had done this before. And it just seems it's just seeming less and less likely that it, something happened outside of the bar because, like, how the hell did he get out without being caught on camera unless the police are lying about that? Well, and I wonder if that back camera has a blind spot, you know, if it's above the door uh-huh. and you can go out the door and directly turn right and walk off and right. not be seen. You know, I mean, that could be and I'm not saying that it's not he could have got picked up right there by human traffickers. But right. There could be a blind spot in the camera that we just don't know about. Right. And we haven't seen it. So we have no idea that, again, my theory of an organized offender makes sense. They case the joint. Right, Mike? Yeah. I was about to say this is getting out of hand, but probably shouldn't put that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's funny. We get half through, halfway through it, and Bob's like, you know, the only thing that makes sense is a, a crack human trafficking team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, that's cool. I know. this. We've never really caught. It's interesting because we've never covered cases like that. We're always doing wrongful convictions. We've mm-hmm. never done unsolved. This is, this is why, audience, we brought, truth and justice will never do unsolved cases because I will come up with crazy theories. And with and with that being said, I think we're going to, as, as I mentioned, we are, this is uh, our number two of four podcasts we have to record today. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff to get ready. So we're, we're going to go ahead and, and call that the end of this follow-up. If you guys have more questions about it, we'll work those in uh, with next week's episode. We have an, obviously another episode coming out. Um, we're going to be discussing the Greg Lance case with Robbie Ashoudry on Sunday. And so we'll have the follow-up for that. But if you guys have more questions uh, about this case... We can, we can always work those in with next week's follow-up as well once we're kind of back to our normal operations again. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for putting up with our crazy schedule. We love you, and we'll be back next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. 
and the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. There's nothing like Ireland's wild Atlantic Way. 1,600 miles of soaring cliffs, dreamy remote islands and buzzing little towns. Not to mention the seafood. Oh, the seafood. And if you drive with Irish ferries, you'll arrive relaxed and ready to explore. Bring the whole gang, pets and all. Fill the boot with goodies and get a warm Irish welcome before you even get to Ireland. Hop across from Hollyhead to Dublin. Book early at irishferries.com and see travel differently. Terms and conditions apply.